Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 28 of Michael's Record Collection. I thank you for listening, and I just want to say at the start of the show that I have lowered the minimum amount to support this show on Patreon. That's right, for only $2 a month now. You can support the show. That's less than you pay at Starbucks. Come on. Uh, anyway, you can do that at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For this episode, I talked to guitarist and vocalist Billy Levesey. You may not know who he is, but he's got a band called The Levesey's, and they're pretty darn good. They just had a, an album released that came out at the beginning of this month, and it's called Not What I Bargained For. It is fantastic, blues-based rock, Americana, whatever you want to call it. I think that Billy's backing band sounds like a mini version of the E Street Band. And I think that anybody that likes Bruce Springsteen or Americana or just good old-fashioned American blues-based rock and roll will like this album. Billy was really generous with his time. I enjoyed talking to him. We discussed the album, the making of it. Uh, we discussed his work with Clarence Clemens. He was Clarence Clemens' guitarist for 12 years. He has been on a stage with Bruce Springsteen. So lots of good stuff to talk about. We got into his influences a little bit and all of that. So I appreciate Billy's time. I do want to apologize to Billy for calling his song Two Sides, Both Sides, which I did multiple times in this in this podcast. But uh, I had written it down wrong, and that's the way I kept looking at it and seeing it. And so... Uh, you know, the brain does things. Anyway, it's called Two Sides, and it's fantastic. It's a great opening track on the album. I hope you like it, and I hope you like this interview. Let's get to that right now. Here we go. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. On uh, this episode, I'm happy to have with me Billy Levesey of The Levesey's. You have a new album out called Not What I Bargained For. Just came out, I believe, September 1st. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So I want to talk a little bit about this album, and uh, you you actually have come out with two albums since the pandemic started, uh, The Rhythm of Love and Dysfunction last year, and now this year, Not What I Bargained For. And my question, I guess my first question is, is these two albums, are they, do you see them as companions, or do you think these are, are quite different, and, uh, and, was, and were they intentionally different? I would think the answer is sort of both. I mean, they're different, but they are brother and sister albums uh, because some of the songs that are on this album were originally supposed to be on the Rhythm of Love and Dysfunction. And that all happened because of the passing of our drummer. And so, I mean, we had the album completed and then when, the, then when he passed and uh, we sort of had a hiatus looking for a new drummer and at the mean and meanwhile i'm still writing and then obviously you know the pandemic hit and um so it just kind of snowballed from there but yeah i would say that they're they're brother and sister most definitely okay uh or drummer eddie zine who passed uh he plays on three tracks on this album okay um yeah eddie passed in 2018 i believe it was the year, um, yeah and he was replaced by uh, Howard Goldberg and um, uh, also in the band uh, Jorge uh, La Plume. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right on bass yeah. and vocals. George La Plume. Uh, Plume. Okay, Victor uh, Barrios on organ and Tim Murphy on piano. Kind of, when I listen to your music, it reminds me of kind of a scaled down E Street Band sort of vibe. It's like, it's almost like, just like a smaller version of the E Street Band. Is, is that an accurate description? 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I got a lot of my influence comes from the fact that, you know, I played with Clarence Clemens for 12 years mm-hmm. and, you know, I was just, um, I saw so many Springsteen shows and was just totally, you know, seeing the behind, you know, learning things behind the scenes and, and whatnot, even with the, with the, um, the instrumentation of the band. I mean, that was the same, you know, Clarence patterned his band after the E Street band. And then, you know, I, I always thought about it. Gee, it would be really nice rather than have one keyboard player because Cookie was in the band first, have one keyboard player, you know, playing between organ and piano, you know, to have both things going simultaneously. So, yeah, I, I definitely, um, the fact that you picked up on that, I guess, uh, just it's just an influence. You know? mm-hmm. Your music has been a lot of artists hate labels but it's been it's been called americana i think that's kind of a an apt description you don't see a lot of americana artists coming out of the miami area yeah i mean it's weird my miami is is a is really uh uh south florida is a a major you know uh, is a melting pot with with all kinds of influences uh but because I guess because I'm older and my my influences are are much more dated, so to speak, um, you know, between, you know, blues and rock and the Beatles and the Stones and all the stuff that came out of the 60s and so forth. I, I, I think that that's the reason for that. But we still I still pick up the influence of the Latin influences being mm-hmm. South Florida, you know um we have we have some stuff that hasn't got been on any records yet but uh, you know but there might be you know there were that are a bit more funkier and uh a bit more rhythmical i i would think that since uh since howard's been in the band uh it's sort of leaned a little bit more syncopated with the uh, with musically uh color of the music is is a little bit more syncopated kind of the standout track to me, obviously, is, you know, not what I bargained for, is both sides. It's the album opener. I didn't know what I was getting into when I posted that picture on my Instagram. The crazies came out swinging with the elbows I thinking when I posted that One little comment can start a fire Seems we all have to feed the flame Pack up your bags, get out of town Everybody knows your name Oh, it's true, it's true There's a conspiracy I know because I read it in the news feed Ideas about religion and it's it's something that i think is extremely of its time right now it starts off with the line i didn't know what i was getting into when i posted that picture on my instagram and it's it's really about the misinformation and the needless and senseless arguing that takes place on social media and i wondered if that song sprung from a particular incident in your life well, no, well what happened was uh, about actually about six years ago 
um, I had a friend of mine that had comment. I saw her comment on um, on social media uh, where she said all of you know, I, I didn't respond, but I just saw what she had written. And she had mentioned that, you know, you've got both sides and all this ridiculous information. And right away it hit me two sides in the ridiculous. So I, I kind of like, I, I wrote this, the beginning, you know, I didn't know it, but it was, it was on acoustic guitar and because um, I write everything on acoustic guitar, but it was more in a sort of like a, um, can I play it for you? Sure. Okay. That'd be so, great. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was sort of like, um, let me get rid of this. It was sort of like that. Oh, I didn't know what I was getting into when I posted. It was sort of like that, like a more of a John Prine, because I was listening to John Prine at the time too. So I was kind of looking at it as a singer songwriter kind of, and I only had, I didn't know what I was getting into when I posted that picture on my Instagram, all the crazies came out swinging. What the hell was I thinking when I posted that? And that's all I had is, a, mm -hmm. um, oh, it's true, it's true. There is a conspiracy. I know because I read it in the newsfeed, ideas about religion and politics, two sides, and along with the ridiculous. Because at the time, I think she was commenting on something that was religious and, and political. Uh, so it kind of sat for like six years. And I would pick it up and kind of play around with it. And originally, I was thinking of, of it as a joke song. Then last year, when I was I picked it up and started playing around with it again, I I posted a um, uh, just a, a little clip of that first verse after after I got uh, put it in the same chordal arrangement that it has now. I, I posted a clip and somebody said, "Oh, it sounds like the Who," and I'm thinking, "How does he get the Who out of this?" So as a sort of like as a tongue-in-cheek sort of thing I, I told my bass player who was a major who fan george laplume i said let's put drums to this and let's make it like the who so the beginning is like the who you know the, it's, it's influence it came from won't get fooled again so it's uh so that anyway that's how that song came about it was just something that i had like i said written about six years ago from a friend of mine's comment on social media and i just i just took it from there that's an insane coincidence, I think, because uh, I believe today is the anniversary of Keith Moon's death. Um, but uh, that's that's an interesting story. I, I find that and it's interesting, too, that you started that you started writing that song a couple of years back because. Last year, especially with not just the pandemic, but with Black Lives Matter and with the election, there was so right. much of this going on. Right. Just, well, that made me complete the song because obviously once I started I realized that this song had some sort of relevance and that's why I, I picked it up you know took it sort of took it out of the archives and, mm -hmm. and started working on it some more you know especially where we're you know with Black Lives Matter and you know with global warming and so on and so, so forth and and I know so many friends that now aren't so much friends anymore you know and there's all these family arguments over you know, politics and religion and global warming and just this cr crazy, crazy stuff. And so that that in itself led me to write uh, to work on a song that I had written a long time ago. Crazy, isn't it? 
mm-hmm. uh, the same sort of thing. It was a song that I had a piece of a long time ago. And because of all this, the instances of just everybody just jibber jabbering and, and talking about crazy nonsense, so uh, made me brought that song back to life. like this um it's not brand new but it seems like the the events of the last two years have have magnified this this sort of phenomenon where people are having to mute or unfriend family members um you know friends are are falling out over over things like this that you know in a lot of cases there are easily verifiable facts and yet one party or the other refuses to see them yeah um i think it's i think it comes i think these are ingrained sort of opinions that you know that we all have you know over the years you know growing up you know, uh but it you know and people i think what ha- what's happened is people that are in positions of power have said some things that maybe other people sort of agree with until they find out for themselves that this is not true. And sometimes people, I think, don't want to admit that something is not true. I mean, I know I'm, 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 I have that, we all have that little characteristic of somebody will say something and, you know, that's not right. And you know, one likes to admit that they're wrong about mm-hmm. it's ego. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, it, absolutely. Your, your, your ego gets in the way. And, and, you know, I, 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 I think about that a lot, you know, but I try to leave myself open and really try to get my facts straight before I really, you know, say, you know, that's, that's wrong. You know, you know, it's like, so I just saw something a little while ago, somebody talking about history and, and, and race, racism and, 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 you know, like, you know, uh, you know, taking down monuments and, and things like that. And I'm thinking, you know, these people say these things, but at the same time, don't they, how would they feel if in Nazi Germany, they were, they were saying the same thing. Oh, this is history. So we can have these statues of Hitler and we can have these statues of these people, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to me, it's a, a similar situation circumstance yeah uh well i have to say that 
I've heard some songs that have covered this topic, but I don't think I've I've heard a song that covers it as completely as both sides and at the same time is a catchy song. So I, I think you you guys knocked that one out of the park. Well, thank you. This album also contains some interesting covers. Uh, the the Springsteen cover "If I Should Fall Behind" makes sense given your background. You're you're having played with Clarence Clemens, having had that familiarity with Bruce. And then there's a another one called Hold Me, which was it first charted back in 1933, was written by Jack Little, Dave Oppenheim, and Iris Schuster. Hold Me has been recorded by several artists, and I was curious, how did this particular song find its way to your ears, and, and which version was the one that really kind of spoke to you? Well, when when I was a kid uh, listening to music in the 60s, uh, PJ Proby had this song, mm -hmm. and uh, I never really realized how bad PJ Proby's version was until I went back and looked at the video <laughs> doing it, because um, when we we first worked it up, I, I was playing it. George and I were in a band together years and years ago uh, when we were kids. And, um, and so that was a song that we kind of just, we, we worked up without really hearing. We just kind of, we, we liked it, just the, the, the 60s kind of uh, uh, energy of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, Charlie Sexton did a version of it. Okay, Charlie Sexton from Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was that was a little that was on the radio uh, back in the I think I think in the mid 80s. And then, you know, we, we, we heard it then and and said, wow, this is a good cover of, of this old PJ Proby song and it's much better. So we sort of adapted from the Charlie Sexton version and we had been playing it live for such a long time that we said, you know, we ought to record the song because, you know, we really liked it and we liked playing it. Mm -hmm. And then we put the harmonies in it and. Uh, and the piano and the organ. So, you know, it kind of developed over a, a, a period of times. Mm -hmm. So it had an, a certain energy. I think Maggie Bell um, from England uh, also uh, did a version of it. Yeah. I was looking into some of them, watching some YouTube videos on them today earlier, actually, about that. And, and PJ Proby was the one that, that I wrote down. I was like, is this the one that you had had, had first uh, heard? Um, you're approach to covers is interesting because you had a couple of covers on the rhythm of love and dysfunction uh woodstock and the heart of the matter and woodstock you put your own spin on that one but heart of the matter is more of a straight cover so how do you kind of decide when you when you start doing a song or playing around with a song that already exists whether or not you're going to give it a whole new slant or whether you're going to do it sort of remain true to the original you know it's just something that just comes about uh, what happened with Heart of the Matter when Eddie passed um, and we were in sort of on a hiatus uh, situation, I got asked to, to, to fill in 
uh, in an Eagles tribute band. And Heart okay. of the Matter, one of the songs that we were playing in this Eagles tribute band. And so the, the guys in my band said, you know, you, you do that really well. And, and it's a great song. You know, let's adapt it and work it up. So we, d- we did that. I mean, we worked it up and, um, and then recorded it. Uh, you know, it's a little heavier than the, than the Henley version. But it's just a, it, it's one of those songs I really didn't want to mess with the melody, you know, and and the and just the way the the way the song is presented. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guitars are a little heavier; it's a tad faster. But overall, it's it's real similar to Henley's version. Woodstock basically was is a song that has been a, a lot of different. Can, not a lot, but I mean, a few different configurations between Joni Mitchell mm-hmm. and, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash. So that I figured that, that was something that I, we could play with. And, and actually I was playing acoustically a little bit. And so I worked it up by myself, playing it acoustically and making it real simple. And it's sort of just the guys in the band say, hey, you do a really cool version of that. Let's do that. And so that's how that happened. Okay. Uh, these two albums both have a lot of tracks on them. You know, typically you have about 10 songs on an album. You went a little over that. Um, and that begs the question, how do you, how many songs do you write for an album? And then how do you pare it down to get the ones that you want to put on the record? Yeah. Well, the fact that, you know, I'm independent, I'm not really getting outside help from a record company or a producer because, I mean, we produce everything ourselves. So, in that context, if you have a producer or a record label, they're going to choose the songs that are basically going to go on your record. I mean, nowadays, you know, artists have input, but still, when it comes time to pay for it, you know, the producer and the record label are basically saying how many songs you got on it. So these songs were all taken, probably chosen Rhythm of Love and Dysfunction, I had about 20 songs to choose from. And then uh, the same thing with, with this record, I had about 20 songs to choose from. But in some of those songs were left over from the Rhythm of Love and Dysfunction that were already recorded and ready to go. So, sure. you know, I figured, you know, these would be, and, and because I like them all, <laughs> I put all 20 songs on the record. You know? uh, so because I like like them all and everybody else in the band, you know, they're saying, what about this song? What about this song? So, but this song has 12, so that's not too bad. Yeah. It's uh, it. what I like about the, the way that the album is spread out is that, you know, a lot of times artists will front load all the good songs or all the best songs anyway, might be the first four or five songs, but some of my favorites on this uh, album, in addition to both sides and the, the nominal title track, what I bargained for, uh, Better Angels and and Can't Stop the Talking are uh, later in the, you know, like toward the end of the album and plus the two covers. I think those are the ones that stand out for me. This is a story of a man who became the king and his deception brought the country to its knees. People turned against each other Brother fighting brother He lied and said he'd make them great again Emboldened were the souls Taken in by his bravado Had arena 
hustler charm Using violence and division To feed his demon ego Just like a main lad in the arm There's better angels coming Better angels coming Arriving just in time to bring the truth over the lies The better angels of our nature Right. Well, I, I, um, I'm glad you say that because I don't, because I agree. Yeah, most people, most artists will put their best songs in the front of the front load of the album with their best songs. And for me, I guess it comes again because we're doing it and we, we're not really sure of what our best songs are because we're, I'm so close to the writing mm-hmm. and I like everything that. I do, you know, these are like my babies. So, um, but I wanted to arrange the record in such a way also that I, I didn't want to end it with something that was too negative. So other words, you know, better angels was down at the end of the, and the, you know, the list of songs that came on, you know, as well as, you know, in trouble times. Uh, but I wanted to end it on something that was a little bit more, uh, upbeat as far as the the content and and the feel of the song so that's why um can't stop the talking and and crazy isn't it actually I, I wanted them to to be almost like one song it didn't really turn out that way when in the mastering happened I do I wanted them to be a little bit closer together I had been listening a lot to over the last couple of years to Springsteen's Western Stars okay and so I really like the way he's got um, a song. He's got two songs. Um, one is Sundown and Offhand. I, the, the other one, the title escapes. And anyway, the, the two songs are linked together as like, you know, one coming out of the other song. And that's, that's how I wanted these last two songs to be. And mm-hmm. something that sort of ended on a, a more positive note and crazy, isn't it? when you produce an album yourself, is there a concern that you don't have pushback from anyone? Is there somebody that's the voice of, of maybe we should try this a different way? Yeah. The guys in the band, they all push back. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, I I look for that. Um, But it's like with, with any band, I mean, I I like to look at, at the legacies as yes, we are a band because everybody ha- has input, you know, the pushback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, because it's, it's me writing the songs, I have the final say, but they'll override me sometimes and, and get me to change my mind if I think it's, you know, applicable. So were there any instances of that with these songs on this album? Um, not, too, not too much from, from what I can, what I can remember. I mean, I'll write this, I'll write the songs and demo the songs for the guys in the band. And then they'll bring all their parts and, and record over top of the, the recordings that are, that are there. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, as far as the, you know, what we wanted to like, for instance, like uh, in the beginning of crazy, isn't it, is this musical interlude 
segue coming out of Can't Stop the Talking and the end of Can't Stop the Talking, which kind of goes into a musical place uh, with no vocals and it just kind of changes. Uh, you know, there was some pushback a little bit there by wanting to put drums and put some stuff, you know, and I said, no, we got to leave it kind of sparse. The, the idea of it is to is to have this musical listening experience and and we, we hadn't really done any of that on any of the other records. And I thought it would be a little bit different to do on, on this record. Hmm. Did everybody record their parts in their home studios? How did that work? No, they've all done it here at my house. I have okay. a, here in my house, I have a studio and, uh, and we, we all recorded, we all live in the neighborhood, so it's easy. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, based on the timing. I wasn't sure, you know, how, how you handled that with the, with the pandemic and the lockdowns and everything. Right. Well, so. everybody, everybody's, we've all been vaxxed and everybody's real good about, you know, being careful. You know, they, we all wear masks when we go out in the public and, 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 and we haven't played. So, I mean, we, we played, we just started playing in June mm -hmm. uh, again after the pandemic started. So, I mean, we played once in September for the Rhythm of Love and Dysfunction, and that was a total nightmare. And um, our or cookie, our organ player, got COVID, and so mm -hmm. we didn't play. We didn't play. He 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 came through it fine. He, he wasn't hospitalized or anything, but it was just you know, it's just a just a crazy crazy time. So and we didn't play from the, from then all the way until this last June. We just because. Then we and we played outside um, at this event in Fort Lauderdale, um, but it, at the time it seems okay. Everybody's getting vaccinated. It seems like it's things are winding down. Then all of a sudden now everything's, especially in Florida, has gotten crazy again. I mean, yeah. I just read today's paper that uh, Florida's eleventh in the country in COVID COVID infections, but number one in deaths. But the COVID rate is coming down, but it's still a slow process. Do you have a favorite song on this record? I think my my fa my favorites, the, my two favorites really are the last two. Okay. Only because they're they're different from what we normal normally do. Uh, I like in a small town a lot. I like them. I, I really I like them all, but there's just something about the last two that kind of move it they move me yeah mm -hmm. i'm always curious about that because uh i know it's like choosing between your children but um some people have favorite children <laughs> you know as far, as far as playing i like playing drunkard's lament a lot um and because we've been rehearsing for this cd release party that we're going to be doing next friday and that'll be at uh at this venue in uh Boca Raton called um, 
the Funky Biscuit. Okay. So we'll be we'll be playing the 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 album there along with um, songs from the other four records, and we do original versions of these of these classic covers, uh, mostly some old soul songs and things that we do. It's all in the same genre. Mm-hmm. What do you have planned as far as as live? Is there is there going to be a tour for this album? Is it going to be just local stuff, festivals? Yeah, right now it's just going to be local, you know, um, mainly because of the COVID thing. We're trying to play as many outdoor venues as we can. The venue that we're playing in Boca is inside, but it's a it's a large venue. It's got a stage. We don't really have to uh, mingle. We can hide in the dressing room, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and to be honest, most of the people that are going to probably come see us that uh that we know are older so i know probably most of them have have been vaccinated and they're probably a little bit safer but still you have that element where you know everybody wants to take take a picture with you and you gotta you know so it starts getting a little sketchy yeah what is it like for a performer that's been around like you have for a bit and you know now you're going to shows and and you look out in the crowd and what you see staring back at you is a lot of cell phones. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what I tell my, my bass player. And I said, I go, I go cell phone, cell phone. Cause people, you know, they, they record the band, you know, live and they're starting posting this stuff. And, and I'm looking at these videos, I'm thinking, boy, we're God awful. I wish they would take <laughs> it down. And it's like, Oh no, but most everything is pretty consistent, but yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, you're so afraid of, you know, somebody's going to, you know, we're going to have a train wreck and then that train wreck is going to be all over, you know, social media. So yeah, I guess it's just, uh, it's all part of what we do, you know, so there's nothing, a way we can get away from it. And and I imagine it has to affect the, the artist audience feedback that you're getting from the, from the crowd, because they're, they're worried about getting the shot and framing everything and they're not just enjoying the music. A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's too bad. I mean, uh, or sometimes in, in that regard, you know, they've all got their cell phones up, you know, shooting videos of us because they like what they're seeing. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. It's, uh, but you, you know, you've seen that, that kind of, uh, evolution as you, as you've gone on in your career. talk a little bit about Clarence um rock and peace Clarence Clemens you spent more than a decade in his band you're on his uh, his live in Asbury Park releases how did you get into 
Clarence's radar? How did you guys meet and, and how did you come to, to be um, in his band? Okay, well, he, Bruce broke up the E Street Band in the 90s. Clarence moved to uh, Riviera Beach, which is n- just a little bit north of Palm Beach. And he was looking to put just a, a sort of local thing together where he could play once or twice a week. They, they wanted to get a club where they, he could do like a jam session night where he would have his band and then he would come and he would play a couple of songs and then people would come from all over and jam. And the, and the, the club owners, they were receptive to this idea because, uh, you know, they on a Monday or a Tuesday night or something like that. Uh, so it was just a coincidence that this club that I used to play at down here in South Florida called the Button South, I knew the manager. Her name is Darlene Delano. And she became Clarence's manager. How she became Clarence's manager, I'm not real sure of that story. Mm-hmm. But um, through her, I found out that Clarence was looking to audition musicians. He already had a couple of guys and he was looking for a band. And she said, would you want to audition with your band? And I said, sure, absolutely. And so um, there was a club in Hollywood that uh, is normally closed on a Monday or Tuesday night. So it was a Tuesday night, January 11th, 1998. And the reason why I remember the date so well is because it was his birthday. And it's also my wife's birthday. So uh, the club was closed. So they opened the club specifically so that we could do this audition. So, So we set up and played and the club was totally empty except for Clarence, his manager, and, and his best friend, a guy by the name of Bruce Schwack. And they sat in the middle of the room and it was very nerve wracking because we had to play our set as though the room was full and there's just Clarence Clemens. And, you know, and thinking the whole time, gee, that's Clarence Clemens, you know, I didn't know <laughs> Clarence at all. So, so we, we, did our, we did our set. Um, they also gave us, you know, four or five songs to learn so Clarence could come up and play with us. And so we learned the songs and he came up and played. And then, um, and then afterward we, you know, we did our, our, you know, hellos and goodbyes and whatnots. And, and then they called me the next day and said, uh, Darlene called me and said, you know, Clarence really, you know, really liked what you did. Uh, he, he wants you to be part of the band. And I said, well, what about the other guys? And he said, no, he just wants, he just wants you. And I said, okay. So, so that was, it was great for me because it that enabled me to keep my band actually going because with the money that I made from working with Clarence, I could keep the Levisy going. Mm-hmm. You were, uh, I believe, and I, I don't have these albums sadly yet because shelf space and money, uh, but uh, the live in Asbury park uh, albums, Bruce does make an appearance on one of these. Somebody in need Yeah, that you just don't have Why don't I just sit
we were playing um, we we're playing at the Stone Pony. Um, we did we did four shows. We did a daytime show and we did a nighttime show, both on uh, Saturday and Sunday. And so the making of those records. So what they did is they compiled, you know, um, the best that we did from the four shows uh, to make the to make the two albums live in Asbury Park one and then live in Asbury Park two. So uh, the first night, yeah, Bruce Bruce showed up. Uh, we played a couple of songs. Um, we had no idea what we were going to be playing, but when you listen, it's crazy because when you listen to the songs, you would think that we had been rehearsing them, rehearsing the songs for a while. Everybody knew the parts, but you know they're old soul songs. Um, one is uh, the one that's on the album is is "Raise Your Hands." So it was a, something that the E Street Band had done for a, a long period of time. Uh, so Clarence knew the song and. And it was a song by Eddie Floyd. So that, that, uh, that was really, really a, a great experience. It was, it was really kind of cool. He actually, mm-hmm. Bruce came and had sat in with us a few times um, over the years. Uh, the next night, John Bon Jovi, uh, Tico Torres, those people were there. They were going to come sit in with us. Um, there was a bomb scare. So this is at the Stone Pony. So the, the at the Stone Pony, if, if you're familiar, they do uh, concerts in the parking lot. So they get about 500,000 people in the parking lot. So when they had the bomb scare, Bon Jovi, Tico Torres, all, all the rock stars, they booked. They, you know, uh, and they totally cleared the whole parking lot, the venue. All these people were in the streets, did a search for the bombs with dogs. And then they left and then they brought everybody back in and we finished the show. (laughs) What was it like for you being a a bit of a hired gun for Clarence? Clarence, Clarence was a great guy. I mean, he was the kind of guy, I mean, uh, the only problem with, with, with playing with Clarence was that because he was on such a different level. I mean, I could call him up on the phone and say, Hey, how you doing? Um, you know, I went fishing with him one time, first time I ever caught a sailfish, but I, I couldn't really like call him up and say, Hey, I'm coming over to pick you up and take you out to dinner because I'd have to rent a limo. I'd have to go to his house and pick him up and I'd have to take him someplace that was a five-star restaurant. I just couldn't afford. But <laughs> other than that, you know, I had stayed at his house a couple of times. You know, like I said, I had gone fishing with him. Uh, he was a great guy. If we could be on a on a tour bus, uh, you know, um, at, after a show and there could be some kid that would say, hey, can I get Clarence's autograph? And I'd look around and see how many people were hassling him. And, and if there wasn't a lot of people around him, I'd bring the kid into the bus and say, Clarence, this is so-and-so. He wants you. And he and he was real good about it. He'd sign whatever they needed to be to have signed. And uh yeah. He was so, a- sounds like a good guy who's uh he, he got used to the good life there with the E Street Band. It oh, no, like. absolutely. <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit more about you, Billy. What you, you mentioned this this song that came along uh, in 1933 that you heard in the in the mid 60s, early in the mid 60s. Uh, Hold me. What what was the first song that you remember really kind of connecting with when you were young? the first song I connected with 
probably Elvis Presley. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was, uh, when I was, when I was, you know, a little kid, you know, I mean, uh, Elvis, Elvis was the guy, you know, you'd stand in front of the mirror, you know, with a fake guitar and pretend you were Elvis Presley, you know, uh, and then, uh, once I got, once I got, finally got, got a guitar for real, I was in, you know, junior high school and that was after, you know, after, after the Beatles and the Stones, uh, so I probably, there's no really one song that I can think of in my life that I really connect with. Um, I mean, one of my favorite songs of all time is probably Maybe I'm Amazed by Paul McCartney. Okay. But other than that, um, it's like just music in, in general, I, I kind of connected with, uh, but I wouldn't say any one song in particular. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite record or something that you always go back to? I, I, I go back to listen to Beatles stuff, uh, but now I've really tried to expand my horizons a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm listening to more, I don't want to say, I guess so, I'm listening to more country music, Keith Urban stuff. I don't really like um, the traditional country music, the, 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 Tammy Wynette, Loretta Lynn type of country, although there are some songs. Uh, I think I'm more of a song person than mm -hmm. um, than, a, than an artist person because I'll, I'll, I'll gravitate to a song regardless of the artist, you know, and the same thing with with hip hop, I mean, or or R&B or or soul or whatever. I mean, there's a I, I really like um, the song by Eminem, Stan. Uh, just because I can relate to it and just has that story. I just, uh, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm more drawn to songs than anything else. Okay. Who influences your playing? Who, who were your big playing influences as a guitarist? And, and do you have those same influences as a vocalist or do you have different uh, vocal uh, influences? Yeah. Um, as a guitar player, I don't gravitate too, too much to the Steve Vai's and the Joe Satriani's. Uh, too many notes for me, mm -hmm. but that's probably because I can't play that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, you know, I grew up with the, with the classics, you know, the, you know, the Eric Clapton's and the Jimmy Pages and uh, probably Carlos Santana really had a big influence on me as, as, as far as the, the style that I play and the way I play guitar player uh, that was here when I was a kid, uh, Mike Panera had a big influence on me. You know George Harrison because I like the bit parts that he played in the songs, but I I think you're the classic guitar players really are the ones that that set me on my path. Mm -hmm. As far as vocally, I was probably influenced the most vocally by um, a singer that I actually played in a band with uh, when I was a kid. His name was Steve Park, only because he he was the singer in the band that I was in and I really didn't, um, I, I wasn't a lead singer. Mm -hmm. I was just singing background harmony. So I, I really didn't become a lead singer until I was forced into that position. Somebody had to do it. So I'm the one that did it. <laughs> do you enjoy it or would, would that be something that you would be interested in finding a, a front man to, to, to be with the Levices? No, I'm the guy. Yeah. 
you've kind of you've grown into the role now. You're, you're it's a comfortable comfortable old shoe for you now. <laughs> yeah. No, I, no, I would I wouldn't mind having another guitar player, uh, only because it would free me up to do other things. Uh, there's a lot of parts on the record that I wish that I could play live because I can't because I'm singing. Mm -hmm. um, now, Joe Bonamassa does a really good job of singing and playing guitar. He, 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 I sh should mention him again as far as a guitar player influencing me because mm -hmm. I really like like the way he plays a lot, mainly because he's old school, but he still shreds. And um, so, you know, I was always taught that the, that the guitar playing is supposed to be an extension of the vocal. So that's where I'm coming from there. Okay. Somebody takes, uh, you know, gets the CD, they bring it home, put it on, they listen to uh, Not What I Bargained For from start to finish. What do you want them to take away from that experience, the listener? I, I want them to just, um, hopefully they'll just feel something from from the music. I mean, that that's because that's how it is for me. I mean, I could be listening to a record um, it's like, for instance, like with Springsteen's Western Stars. Mm -hmm. When I first, when I started listening to that record, it's like it just, it seemed, it, it was painted with different colors if it was a painting. And, um, and the, the songs and the melodies kind of like just gave me a feeling. I can't really describe what that feeling is. Um, I wish I could be uh, a little bit more precise about how that how I, I feel but but I just hope that when the whoever listens to what we're playing whether it's our live show or whether it's on record that they get a feeling from the songs that they hear because to me it's all about the songs uh, you know uh, the, the guitar solos the piano solos the organ solos they, they we strive to have them say something so that there's a certain melody. Even if you listen to classical music, I mean, sometimes with classical music, I mean, you know, you hear, you know, da 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 da. Dun, dun. There's a certain feeling that you get when you hear that every time, you know, or or even the the William Tell Overture, you know, the Lone Ranger. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. You get this feeling when you when you when you hear that music. Yeah, there's a connection made. There's a whether it's a, a positive emotion or so-called negative emotion, there's a, a some kind of a correlation between your brain and what's going on with the music. I, I exactly. yeah, I get it. I totally get it. Where's the best place for people to get uh, not what I bargained for? The, where it, where you guys get the re, the most reward for the sale? That would probably be at our website, hmm. the, the levisiesmusic.com. Uh, hmm. Also, billylevisy.com, but the levisiesmusic.com 
com is where pe- people can get the record. You can get it in the iTunes and everywhere else. It's on all the platforms. Okay. And uh, for those that are not familiar, the spelling of Levesey is actually L-I-V-E-S-A-Y. So, exactly. uh, yeah, the Levesey you know, music. I think that's great because you, you pronounce the name right. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, most people go, oh, the live says or the live says. And I say, hey, it doesn't matter. However, however you want to say it. <laughs> I, would be. I didn't actually know um, because I just read it. I had just seen it online and I, I hadn't actually heard it said, but there was a pronunciation guide. I, I want to say in the press release, maybe for this album. And that's the only reason I, that I knew, but I, I always ask in advance um, how, how somebody wants their name pronounced or how the correct pronunciation is. And in this case, I forgot to do it. So it's a good thing I learned it. Oh yeah. No, no, it was perfect. <laughs> All right. Uh, Billy Levesey, this is a, a really strong album. Not what I bargained for. Came out in the uh, beginning of September. I hope it does well for you because I I really have enjoyed it, and um, I think that most people that are that gravitate toward you know just good old American rock and roll, um, Americana, whatever you want to call it, I think will like this. I think that the Springsteen fans will love it, um, especially the cover of "If I Should Fall Behind." I think you guys did a great job on the cover. I thank you for your time today. It's uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And I, I again, good luck with the album. Good luck with the the live shows and and everything that follows. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.